congregation, God continues to work, and, and there's so much going on. I think about yesterday and, and the things that took place early in the morning with the men's prayer breakfast that forward to God working through our camp program. There was a, a moving of a playground equipment from the List residence to our playground area out here at the church building, and what a, what a great thing that'll be for our young ones to, to be able to get in on that uh, fun time as it hopefully warms up again at some point. There was a conceal and carry class put on by uh, the, the congregation or the individuals in the congregation here, and, and that was something that took place in the afternoon as well as Top of the Peak uh, took place in the evening for uh, those that got to be a part of that, as well as a marching band competition at the event center, and there were individuals that uh, were part of this congregation that were a part of that marching band competition, and what a, what a fun time it is, an exciting time to be a part of the congregation here at Paradise Valley Christian Church, and as we continue into our future, as God leads us and directs us, we always want to keep in perspective what He wants us to see. And what I believe he wants us to see as we're looking through First Peter is the reality that this, again, time here on this earth, it's not all that we have to look forward to. We have something so much greater to look forward to, and, and that hope. It's not just a hope of, man, I, I, I think it might happen. No, it's a, it's a hope in the reality that it's going to take place. The reality of us spending eternity with God is going to take place because we can go to his word and we can read his promises and know that if we put our faith and our hope in him, he never disappoints. He always comes through. And so we're going through this series on 1 Peter with the idea of here and there. And I don't know about you, but I love to see things transformed. Uh, Levi, do you mind hitting those lights for me? There's some pictures on the screen here of individuals that are like before and after pictures. And they're the idea of being transformed. And there's a lot of TV shows out there right now in the past and currently that deal with this idea or concept of taking something that is ordinary or maybe run down and transforming it into something that we could have only begin or begun to imagine. And, and whether it be people, or maybe it's kitchens, or maybe it's a whole home, or cars, or antiques, or whatever, we love to see the transformation take place. In fact, we have series, movie series, and toys, and, and thinking about Transformers, things that I grew up with. We love to see th something change from something ordinary like a car into a, a robot that comes alive. We love to see things transformed. You can hit those lights again for me, Levi. As we continue in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, we are challenged with the concept that the hope that we have and what is to come for eternity should transform us here on this earth. When we place our hope in the hands of Jesus, he begins to mold it and make it. He begins to transform us into who he wants us to be. And as we think about the, the, the scenario, what was going on here in 1 Peter, the Christians were being scattered all over the world because of persecution. But Peter told them to live in hope because there was coming a day that they would be in heaven. 
And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version, where it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges, judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, speak to our hearts. May we be open to your leading direction. May your Holy Spirit be guiding. May our thoughts and our minds be on things of you, and may we seek your will in our lives as we read your word. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, I would encourage you to write the title of the message. It's Hope Will Transform You. And along those, along those lines, the first thing that I want us to look at in these verses is be transformed by being holy. As we see in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, and then jump down to verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We must notice the very first word in our text this morning says, therefore, and that's referring back to last week's study when we talked about this idea of seeking salvation. If you are outside of Christ this morning, our prayers that you're seeking salvation, we're throwing you the life ring buoy of salvation. And if you're already in Christ, if you're in the boat this morning, then it's this idea that that salvation should have an impact on how we live each and every day of our lives. Peter is telling Christians that we must be holy, that we must be set apart. And to kind of give you a real basic illustration of this, it would be kind of like if you're reading through the newspaper. Does anybody still get the newspaper? Yeah, okay, all right, some of you out there. Maybe you have a digital newspaper, but as you're reading through it, you're, you're reading information, you're finding something that really you've, you've honed in on, something that you could use maybe at work in a, in a promotional thing that you're working on or a sales pitch, or maybe you could use it in your school at college or in high school. It's something that kind of goes along with your uh, paper that you're writing or something to that effect, but you want to use it. And the only way to really use it is to set it apart. And so the way you set it apart is by cutting it out. You know, back in the day where we used scissors and we cut something out of newspapers. And I always remember my grandparents always having these different news articles. And, and they'd cut them out and they and they hey, you need to read this. And they'd hand it to me. And I think about even on our digital devices where we have the 
cut and paste. They actually literally used to do that. They actually cut stuff out, and they pasted it onto things, okay? And so you want to be able to use this thing that you found in the newspaper. The only way you're going to be able to use it is to cut it out and to set it apart from the newspaper. Because otherwise, if you left it in the newspaper, it just ends up in the stack and ends up in the recycling bin, and, and no longer is it usable. But if you don't set it apart, you can't use it. And we are to be set apart, to set apart for use. It's exactly what the Bible means when it, it talks about being holy. Holiness is an attitude of heart in which you look at God and you say, God, use me. And, of course, this is countercultural. Our culture says, no, you need to stand up for yourself. You need to be independent. You, you need to not have anybody tell you what to do. And when it comes to a relationship with God, we want to be used by God. You're supposed to let God use you. We're not supposed to have the mentality of, you know, just give me the rules and tell me what the rules are so I can do it. You know, just, just tell me what I need to do, and then I'll just do it, and, you know, God, you worry about you. No, it's a holy person. is someone who says, I belong to you, God, and, and I'm setting myself, you know, I, I want to be set apart for your will to be done. I belong to you. To be holy means to be wholly his. W-H-O-L-L-Y. To wholly belong to God. Once again, W-H-O-L-L-Y. To give everything of who we are to God. And so how do we live holy or set apart lives? Well, as I see in verse 13, it says, prepare your minds for action. And I said, I think about this idea of preparing our minds for action in order that we might be holy. We need to be alert. We, we need to be ready and perhaps maybe the greatest illusionist and escape artist who ever lived may have been Harry Houdini. And he was known for his tremendous physical condition and, and could withstand blows to the abdomen by tensing his muscles while performing in Canada. It was reported that after one of his shows, as he was in the back reclining, uh, he invited some people to come back and share with him kind of what's going on. And, and it was reported that after one of his shows, a McGill University student named J. Gordon Whitehead asked Houdini if it was true that he could resist hard punches to the abdomen. According to witness Sam Smilovitz, when Houdini said the rumors were true, Whitehead abruptly delivered four or five terribly forcible, deliberate, well-directed blows to Houdini's stomach. Well, Houdini was still reclining on the couch, and at the time, he had, he had no time to prepare for the punches, which appeared to leave him in considerable pain. A few days later, Houdini died from a ruptured appendix. He'd been going through some health issues, but the, the blows to the stomach didn't help him at all. He, he wasn't ready in that moment to receive those punches. And if we're going to be wholly set apart, we have to be ready. We have to be alert. We have to be preparing our minds for actions. And the lives that we live through the decisions that we make all begin up here in our minds. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How much time do you spend renewing your mind in God's word each and every day? I would challenge every one of us, including myself, to spend five more minutes a day than we already are in God's word. And find out if our minds are more prepared for action than they were a week ago. If you're spending very little time in God's word, just spend, make an effort this week to spend five minutes in God's word. Starting maybe in Psalms or starting in, in the book of John or maybe the book of James and just reading for five minutes, allowing God's word to just be soaked in. Maybe you're already spending 10 minutes in God's word. I encourage you to spend five more and spend 15 total. Spend more time and see how God begins to renew your mind, preparing your mind for action to do his will day in and day out. We have to be alert and ready for the devil's sucker punches to the gut in order to live a life of holiness. I also think that we can look at verse 13 and see that we need to be self-controlled. Merriam-Webster defines self-control as restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. And man, that, that definition really puts me on edge right away because it has the word exercise in it. You know, restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. And I think, man, if it involves exercise, that's not easy. You know, that's hard work. In fact, wouldn't it just be so much easier just to have someone tell me what to do, you know, force me? It's going to be a difficult thing every single day to face a life of choices and self-control plays a huge part in that. If we're going to be holy, we have to exhibit self-control. And in just a moment, I show a little video about this concept of self-control or delay gratification. It's, it's pretty funny. There's, I was hoping to maybe video my own kids doing this. Uh, I would think I'd gotten some funny, uh, some funny results. But here's a short video uh, on this idea of the marshmallow test.
Self-control is not easy. I'm thinking about myself in that kind of video. I, I would, you know, oh, man, I just waiting on that and, and waiting for something else to take place. And we, as humans, struggle with this idea of being self-control. And I go back to the idea, wouldn't it just be so much easier if someone just made me do what was right? Just force me to, to always make the right decisions? I'm sure I wouldn't necessarily like it, but then I would, it wouldn't have to work so hard. However, that's not the way God set things up. God has given us free will to make choice, and he wants us to choose a life of self-control that helps us to be holy, to be set apart. And I think about it in my own life, it's difficult in the mornings when the, the alarm goes off. It, I have a hard time to exercise restraint in order to not just jump right back into bed because it was nice and warm and comfortable in the bed, it's hard to get out and do the difficult things of life. Self-control is not an easy thing, and each one of us struggles with different areas of our lives when it comes to self-control. And so my question for you this morning is, what areas of your life do you need to exert more self-control in? Where is God working in your heart, in your mind, when it comes to being set apart, to be holy? Are you preparing your mind for action? Are you being self-controlled in your efforts to live a holy life in Christ? And I think I want us to, I want us to remember this idea that in order for us to be transformed, it, it comes from remembering that we have a hope of something so much greater Oftentimes on missions trip, we, I've taken several over into Jamaica to visit the Blackwells at Outreach Jamaica. And as we would go over, it was exciting and we'd have a fun time, but it would be hot. It's, it's warm there. It's highly humid. It's warm out. Uh, there's not a ton of, of, it's a different kind of water situation. And we're trying to make all that work when it comes to, you know, toilets. That You know, if there's a drought going on, there's not a very good situation with flushing of the toilets. And, and so you're in a week or so, and if we're planning to stay 14 days, you know, you're, you're on day 10 and you're thinking, man, I, I, I kind of want to go home, you know. Even as the leader, you're kind of thinking, you know, yeah, you've gotten, to, you've gotten to share in a vacation Bible school or you've gotten to do some, you know, labor type of things to help out the orphanage there in, in Jamaica. But you're kind of thinking, man, if I could just make it four more days, the struggle that I'm going through, the lack of, you know, sanitation when it comes to not getting a daily shower in and I'm not smelling too good and, you know, all these different things that I'm emotionally going through, those are all going to be relieved because in four days, I know I'm going home. I have a hope of going home. And as you struggle in this earth at times, as you daily choose to walk in relationship with Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. But I want to encourage us this morning, as you try to be self-controlled, as, as you try to live a, a life that has your mind prepared for action, remember that you have a hope for what's to come. And so we need to be transformed by being holy. We also need to be transformed by being obedient as we look at verses 14 through 16. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... 
So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. A vital step in experiencing transformation is our willingness to be obedient to the commands of God. Obedience brings out transformation in our lives. We are to live as obedient children. In a lot of ways, that sounds simple, doesn't it? But the chances of me living my daily life as an obedient child of God is as simple as my seven children living as obedient children every day without fighting, arguing, kicking, pushing, you know. It's, it's not easy. And so how do we live as obedient children? I think as we look at verse 14, again, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance in ignorance. The word had, of course, is past tense. It's what you used to be involved in, but you're no longer to be living that way, and we can't continually go back into our old way of life. We have to have new speech, and we have to have new actions, and we have to have new thoughts, and we can't get wrapped up in the old crowd that would drag us down. We have to live new. What are you doing Or what do you need to do differently in your life to keep you from falling back into the old way of life? I think we also need to look at verse uh, 15 and 16 and, and see that we need to be like Christ in all things. It seems like each and every day I'm dealing with one of my children saying, well, she got to do this or he got to do that, or why can't I do this? Because so-and-so got to do that, and they want to do everything the other people are doing, their other siblings, and I think about us, do we have that same mentality when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? Do we want to do all the things that Jesus did? Do we want to be like Jesus? Do we want to live in a way that's obedient to the things that Jesus were obedient to. You see, we have one of the greatest examples in history in Jesus Christ, and we need to look to him to do our very best to live the way he lived. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, Just as we are, yet he did not sin. And I know that none of us are perfect, and we're not going to live lives of perfection, but as obedient children of God, we are called to be holy by Jesus, who is holy. We need to be set apart from the rest of the world to live like Jesus and not like the world. And I also see in these verses... The idea of listening to your father. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Our father is sharing with us truth. And if we're going to be obedient children, we need to do what our father asks us to do. Oftentimes I I watch the, the Property Brothers show on HGTV. Once again, enjoying things that are transformed. And on this show, there's a recurring line that takes place or a recurring theme that each and every time the homeowners, 
they want to kind of get their input in there, and they want to say, well, I think it's going to be better this way, or I think it should be done this way. And, and Jonathan, the foreman, one of the twin brothers, he says, well, and he uses the different polite ways to say, stop talking, you know. Just, I know what I'm doing, you know, and I think about that in my own life. How oftentimes is God saying to me, Charles, just stop talking. Stop trying to do it your way, and let's do it my way. Because just as Jonathan knew and knows over and over how things can be done well and how the, the whole big picture of things will, will turn out, our Father in heaven knows exactly what's best for us in our lives. We need to listen through his word and do as he says if we're going to be transformed by being obedient children. And the third thing this morning as I look at these verses, be transformed by living in reverent fear of God. Verse 17 says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Do we live with reverent fear for God? And what does that even mean? Well, I believe for the unbeliever, those outside of Christ, the fear of God is the fear of judgment of God and eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. Luke 12, 5, and Hebrews 10, 31 talk about that idea. But for the believer, the fear of God is something much different. The believer's fear is reverence of God. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 is a good description of this. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This reverence and awe is exactly what the fear of God means for Christians. This is the motivating factor for us to, to surrender to the creator of the universe. Proverbs 1.7 declares, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Until we understand who God is and develop a reverential fear of him, we cannot have true wisdom. True wisdom comes only from understanding who God is and that he is holy, just, and righteous. Deuteronomy 10.12 is a challenging verse, not only for the Israelites to whom it was written, but to us as well, as well as verses 20 and 21, where it records, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one 
you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. The fear of God is the basis for our transformation, walking in his ways, serving him, and yes, loving him. A biblical fear of God for the believer includes understanding how much God hates sin and fearing his judgment on sin, even in the life of a believer. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 describes God's discipline of the believer, where he says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. You see, while this is done in love, Hebrews 12, verse 6, it's still a fearful thing. As children, the fear of discipline from our parents, no doubt, prevented some evil actions. And the same should be true in our relationship with God. We should fear his discipline and therefore seek to live our lives in such a way that pleases him. I don't believe, though, this morning that believers are to be scared of God. We have no reason to be scared of him. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love, Romans 8, 38, and 39. We have his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on how we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, obeying him, surrendering him to him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in awe. That reverent fear for the Lord should cause transformation in our lives. And so in closing this morning, are we being transformed by the hope that we have in our eternal reward? Are you a born-again believer this morning? If you're not, Has the transformation process really started in your life? Maybe you don't really feel like things are changing when it comes to being holy or obedient or being reverent to the God of the universe. The way that you do that is you surrender your life to him first and foremost, that you believe in who he is, repent of your sins, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're buried with him in the watery graves of baptism in order to be raised in new life in Christ, to daily walk in the Spirit. And this morning, Christians, long-time believers, be transformed by being holy, obedient, and living in reverent fear so that this world can see the light of Jesus upon your life and that they too might be saved. If they can't see Jesus in God's children, where will they see him? So this morning, will you choose this day to allow your hope to transform you?